eyes. One approach Norman Vincent Peale popularized in the 1950s was to engage in positive thinking. Over the years, other authors and speakers have also promoted the idea Peale presented in his book, The Power of Positive Thinking. But is that really what we need for life? In reality, we can't mask our problems or fix them by just thinking happy thoughts. But we can have joy, and the presence of joy does impact how we think about and deal with life's challenges. In this session, we'll take a peek into Paul's pastoral study, one that just happened to be in a prison cell. Bound in chains, Paul didn't engage in positive thinking. Instead, he focused on Christ. In Philippians 4, Paul showed us that when we focus on Christ, we experience joy and peace, no matter what challenges we face. Okay, so what's the point of our study today? When I focus on Christ, joy and peace flood my life. Okay, when I focus on Christ, joy and peace will flood our lives. You believe that? Yes. Okay, let's see how we can go about making that happen. Uh, let's look at uh, the first verse, the uh, first two verses on uh, page 115. That is verses 4 and 5 of Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Okay, now look at question number two. What is your initial reaction to Paul's commands in this verse? Your first reaction, when you read this verse, what's your first reaction you get? Positive. Positive, okay. Who else? The story is back. Oh, you brought it back. Okay. You've been looking for her. Morning. Morning. Okay, we're on page one. Uh, 115. 115. What is your initial reaction to Paul's commands in this verse? Honestly, uh, I don't always do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. He says, rejoice in the Lord sometimes, right? Always. Always. What does always mean? Always. Is there any break for anything else in that all? Always? No, always. Always means always, right? It means every moment, every waking moment. And notice the emphasis. What's the emphasis there? Rejoice. Okay, rejoice. Okay. He says it twice. Right, the emphasis is he repeats himself. Now, what happens when someone repeats something? What does that mean? They want you to really get it. It means it's important, right? And he says, let your graciousness be known to... Some people? Why? Every single soul you come in contact with. Why? Because the Lord is there. The Lord is The Lord is, is he only near sometimes? All the time. He's always near. And so it means that we ought to be gracious to everyone all the time because God is always near. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs beneath that verse. Let's read that. Many things can warm us of our cheer. Doubt. Death, challenges, at work, illness, relational difficulties, and numerous other problems can cause Christians to lose their sound. 
but we need not lose our joy. That's because we do rejoice in our sacred senses. We rejoice in the Lord. As we've discussed, Paul was writing this letter from a, a sweet bed house. He was in prison. Some of the Philippians surely remembered when right there in their own city, Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned. Yet the two evangelists spent that night praying and singing hymns of praise. Joy isn't about getting what you want, it's about being grateful for all you have in Christ. Paul went on to say, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The word of graciousness carries the idea of having a gentle spirit with others. It's the opposite of being contentious and self-seeking. Jesus displayed that spirit perfectly throughout his life and ministry, including his attitude towards those who reviled and crushed him. We called to be like Jesus. Which is why Paul said in Philippians 4 5 that believers should display this gracious, gentle spirit with one another and before the watching world. Then Paul then added, The Lord is near. The apostle may have been speaking to the Lord's return, or he may have been drawing attention to the fact that God is always nearby. Religious sisters, both are saying true. Christ's return should cause us to want to live holy lives every day while knowing Christ is near. Should encourage us to call on him for help. Okay. Now notice that uh, third paragraph there. <laughs> As we've discussed, Paul wasn't writing this letter from a sweet beach house <laughs> somewhere in paradise. He was in prison. Some of the Philippians surely remembered when right there in their own city, Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned. Yet the two evangelists spent that night praying and singing hymns of praise. And that account is in Acts chapter 16. Joy isn't about getting what we want, what you want, it's about what? All you have in Christ. Grateful. Being grateful for all that you have in Christ. And uh, Paul's uh, statement with regards to God is near is also interesting. Can I inject a thought here? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. We are not really conscious of what all we have in Christ. If we were conscious and realized what all we have in Christ, then this great That's true. That, that's Very true. Brother mm -hmm. Randy, let's turn the page, not a page, but let's look at another angle. Paul basically can reminisce when he was from coming from Jerusalem, coming down, that Christ appeared to him. Mm -hmm. And therefore, he had to take into consideration the glory of Christ, says God. You know, uh, all is hard to kick against the bricks and I want you to do good be a uh, servant for me. He has to realize, and he did realize, because he was well educated. And he 
Lipwold and the things got hooked up within prison. Yeah, that's the human part of it, but he had a bigger picture because he knew that Christ was still with him and therefore he was not looking at the earthly things, but he was looking at the heavenly things. So that is what he really focused on. Not right. the pain, mm. but of course he realized that the pain that the Lord said, you must suffer for me, for him. So therefore, as I said before, the earthly things was not in focus, the heavenly things was in focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and remember that's one of that's the message that the Lord gave. Uh, the, the prophet Ben God said, you know, I will show him how much things he must suffer for my name's sake. Right. And so Paul is now realizing all of that is now in play. Right. And so he accepts that. Can I say that? Go ahead. Can the whole Sunday school class realize and see how much Brother Cliff has grown? He can tell the No, I'm serious. He can tell the psalmist, I was glad when he afflicted me that I might learn his statue. Brother Cliff has grown. Yes, he can tell you, Jason P. At first, he couldn't. I used to be friends with Sister Nancy because he was just focus on God, not the pain. Mm. And now it's fine. He can say, he suggested to it. I praise the Lord. Amen. One other thought that Paul has here is, is an additional encouragement. He warned that the Lord is near. And this suggests that both Jesus' constant proximity to believers, he is constantly near to us, he's constantly close to us, he's never far away. And I know sometimes we may feel that he's far away, but he's, he's also in constant proximity to his followers, and it speaks also of the imminence of his return. It means that he could come at any moment, at any second. And this is what Paul wants us wants to get across. We should be, we should keep our constant focus on the Lord Jesus because he's always with us. Remember, he said, "I will be with you always, even to the end of the age," and that's a promise that he that he keeps. We should always, we should always be ready for his return at any moment. And that gives us a caution in which we should be engaged in, or what we would not want God to come and, and see us or meet us doing. It's likely Paul had Jesus' return in view here. The Lord's speedy and imminent return is the outstanding and compelling motive for every single believer. And we see a reference to that in, 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 in James chapter 5. Uh, someone turn to James chapter 5 and read verses 8 and 9. James chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Whoever finds it first. <laughs> Got it? Go ahead. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Okay, so that's a further encouragement there from James. Back in Paul up. Harshness in our treatment of others, the direct opposite of graciousness, would be assuming the prerogatives of judging, which belongs only to the judge, right? Jesus Christ is the judge. He's the only one who has the authority to judge anybody. Instead, as we focus on who and whose we are in Christ, constantly rejoicing and showing forbearance to others, life becomes a whole lot more lighter. 
In other words, it relieves the burdens of our heart uh, when we show forbearance to others. We bear one another's burdens. We tolerate what others are going through and not to get frustrated and complain and gripe. Amen? Amen. Okay. Verse 4 concludes Paul's command to rejoice in the Lord always. So as we move to verses 6 to 7, we'll see that prayer is a necessary element for rejoicing in all circumstances. So let's look at those verses. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, go on to the verses below. Paul's instruction here might catch you off guard. Don't worry about anything. Of course, a degree of worry, more accurately defined as concern, is positive and it motivates us to carry out our responsibilities. See 1 Corinthians 12, 25, Philippians 2, 20. Negative worry is different. This kind of worry almost always deals with the future, something we don't possess. Negative anxiety can immobilize us and squeeze out our joy. Worries are like false prophets who tell us God isn't good, sovereign, or wise. Instead of worry, we're called to pray. Paul began his letter to the Philippians with a joy-filled, with a joy-filled prayer. See Philippians 1, 3 to 11. Now, he instructed his readers to pray in the face of anxiety. We need to take steps to battle worry in our lives as well. Except that we shouldn't have a heart filled with negative anxiety. Paul simply said, don't worry about anything. Worry should no more be part of a Christian's life than gossip, envy, covetousness, or sexual sin. Cast all of our cares upon God. See 1 Peter 5, verse 7. The most basic remedy for anxiety is prayer. Paul said peace comes only through prayer. God never worries. He is in control so we can give him our burdens. Pray with thanksgiving and intercession. Paul didn't deny that we'll have hard times, but he knew we can still give thanks. We should also offer up our petitions to God when in need. We can offer our prayers and petitions confidently and with thanksgiving, knowing God is faithful and will provide. Fight anxiety by praying with faith in God's promises. And the peace of God, which, pass, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Once we pray and give our burden to God, we can be surrounded and sheltered by the peace of God. This peace surpasses every thought. That's one of the aspects that makes God's peace so extraordinary. You can have it when it makes no sense to have it. And it all starts with keeping our focus on Christ Jesus. Amen. It all starts with keeping our focus on Christ Jesus. Notice the first two paragraphs there. This is the first two paragraphs. It says, Paul's instructions here might catch us off guard. Don't worry about anything. Let's look at those two passages of Scripture. First Corinthians 12, 25. Someone find that first verse, and then someone else look at, uh, find Philippians 2, 20. 
He says, don't worry about anything. Of course, a degree of worry more accurately defined as concern is positive and it motivates us to carry out our responsibilities. Okay, who have the first verse? 1 Corinthians 12, 25. says, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Okay. Motivation to carry out responsibilities of being concerned about one another. The other verse, Philippians uh, 2.20, you have that one. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Okay. Negative worry is different. This kind of worry almost always deals with the future, something that we don't possess. Negative anxiety can immobilize us and squeeze out our joy. Ever happen to you? Mm-hmm. All the time, right? Yeah. Worries are like false prophets mm-hmm. who tell us God isn't good, sovereign, or wise. So we want to be cautious of negative anxiety. Doesn't mean it's no good, right? Yep. Now we see the activity there. Yep. Did anybody do that? Yep. What you got? <laughs> it says use the chart below to illustrate the difference between negative worry, that is anxiety, and positive worry, concern. Record what each type of worry would look like in two of the following categories. Mm-hmm. Okay, your finances are getting tight. Negative or positive? You had a fight with your spouse, negative or positive? Okay. You're not satisfied with your current job. Negative. <laughs> One of your parents has a serious illness. Positive worry. Your child is having trouble at school. Positive worry. Okay, so you could focus on those those worries, mm-hmm. which you need to do in terms of, of of being challenged. Question number three. How does prayer help us move from worry to trust? You focus on God as you know God of the answer. So when you really, when you pray, you know the answer. Your confidence in Christ will really do that. Okay. I, sorry. What does prayer do? It takes your focus off the problem, right? And you're now focusing on God who was yes. able to do all things exceeding, exceedingly, right? Yes. And Brother Randy, you're saying, token saying this is fine. But then you have to look at two parts of this. It's the human element into this part. You say these things, but you also have to back it up. And you have to know voices into the Bible that give you an additional confidence that this will happen. There's no use of talking about it. You got to know it. And believe it. Believe it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so prayer is very, very important in helping us move from worry to trust. Yes. Right? Yes. Brother Randy, um, you can only think one thought at a time. And because of that, either 
that's how you can get rid of worry. You choose intentionally to talk to the Lord, to give it to Him, to tell Him, to leave it with Him, instead of massage and worry over whatever this problem is on your own. So you've made a choice because your mind is capable of thinking only one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. So you choose to move your mind to the Lord instead of... Yeah, move your focus. Move your focus off the problem and concentrate on God. Okay, if anxiety is partly thinking about the wrong things, Paul helped us move past it in verses 8 and 9, providing a number of right things we should be thinking about each day. Mm -hmm. So let's look at those verses. Verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Finally, Paul addressed the Christian's thoughts Finally, Paul addressed the Christian's thought life as a pathway to peace and joy. For Christians to grow in likeness to Jesus, we need a renewed mind. See Romans 12, 1-2, Ephesians 4, 23. Because David knew people had to change their thinking to accomplish real change, he prayed for God to examine his thoughts. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my concerns. Psalms 139, 23. God has blessed his church with his word as a primary means of purifying our minds. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. We need God's word to saturate our thoughts so that our minds may be renewed and will be kept from grievous ways. In Philippians 4, 8-9, Paul urged the church to think on admirable things. He wanted disciples of Jesus to focus on that which is. True, not false. Honorable, not dishonorable. Just, not unfair. Pure, not obscene. Lovely, not unlovely. Commendable, not wrong. Morally excellent, not corrupt. Praiseworthy, not shameful. In addition to thinking praiseworthy thoughts, Paul also encourages readers to follow godly examples. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. In other words, emulate leaders who think holy thoughts, imitate believers who set their minds on our Creator and Redeemer. Watch them, pay attention to their views, what they read, what they talk about, and what they value. By doing so, Paul said we will know more of God's peace. When we focus and trust in Christ, we have peace. And when we focus and trust in Christ, we have joy. Don't miss out on either of those precious gifts. <laughs> okay, let's look at Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. Go ahead. A little louder. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your boy a living sacrifice, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the key is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4.23. 
Is it? <laughs> and you, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so you see the key focus there is to have our mind focused in the right direction, on the right thing. Mm -hmm. Let's look at some of the major points that Paul mentions here, that, that is mentioned in the passage that we just read. First, the first one is, finally, Paul addressed the Christian's thought life as a pathway to peace and joy. For Christians to grow in likeness to Jesus, we need a renewed mind, right? Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of things going on in our world to capture and refocus our minds on those things that are not important and those things that are not uh, uh, relevant to our Christian walk and our purpose, the purpose that God has placed us here. So a renewed mind is key. Then the second thing is, God has blessed his church with his word as a primary means of purifying our minds. That's what the word is for. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, so we see how important the word is for purification. And then the third thing is in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, Paul urged the church to think on admirable things. There's a whole lot of things in this world to cause you to think otherwise. Oh, yeah. You know, I was so excited to hear that the John Canoe Carnival in Freeport flopped this weekend. Whoa. I wish you could flop here too. Keep okay. Praying. Keep praying. <laughs> and then the, the fourth thing is, in addition to thinking praiseworthy thoughts, Paul also encourages readers to follow godly examples. Notice he says, do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Now I'm sure we can all think of persons who we know that are godly examples. Look at those persons. Think about what they do. Focus on them. This is Paul says, learn from the examples of others. Okay, question number five. How can we practice the things Paul taught in this passage? Walking in God's footsteps. How can we practice them? As we study the word, it comes alive to us. Okay, as we study the word, it comes alive. But he mentioned something key just now, too. He says, look at others. Emulate. Emulate. You may have a question of, okay, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I do And then, oh, I remember brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so has been doing this or been doing that. And that's a good example right there. You see somebody who is fleshing it out. Right? So you don't have to rock your, mind, your brains to try to figure out, how am I going to do this? How am I going to accomplish it? I see brother so-and-so doing it. I see sister so-and-so doing it. So you follow them. And that's why Paul says, do what you have learned and received and seen and heard and seen in me. Okay? I'm your example, he says. Do as I do. So you can ask people. You know, I noticed you talk about, you know, reading the Bible or anything. So tell me about that. What does that look like? Right. And they'll... You know, you can get ideas of, you know, maybe new ways or better ways or mm -hmm. improved time. They may open up a window that you haven't seen before. Yeah. Okay, the point. Again, when I focus on Christ, joy and peace flood my life. Okay, let's look at how we can flesh this out. Uh, page 120. 
how will you let the truths in this passage transform your life this week? Consider these suggestions. First one is pray. What are your biggest challenges right now? Make a list and pray daily about each one. As you pray, ask the Lord to grant you his peace and graciousness. So that's, that's the first one. Make a list and pray about what you put on that list. And then the second one is memorize. Memorize Philippians 4, 6-7. I don't know of a better way to get a proper perspective on the challenges of life and the need to give our burdens to God than to saturate our minds with this passage. Okay, so that's a good exercise there to memorize those verses. Ephesians 4, 6-7. And then the third and final one is think. Seek out a trusted friend who can help you be accountable with your thoughts. Specifically, what are some darker thoughts currently in your mind that need to be replaced with something more noble? Okay, probably you've got a, a, a disgusting neighbor and your, that neighbor doesn't cause your thoughts to be very good. Okay, so talk to somebody who can help you uh, delineate your thoughts. And then finally, take it from me, there's not much power in positive thinking. Not the kind the world wants us to engage in anyway. But there is power in Jesus. Just as important, we can find peace and joy when we focus our lives on him. And as you mentioned already, there are a lot of things in this world that the devil is using to distract us. But let's not be distracted or sidetracked. Amen?